chapter. We'll not cover all of that tonight, but this is a section here that we'll be starting to deal with. And Paul is beginning to close his epistle to the churches of Galatia, and he's in this section that we've called the practical section, because it really is. Uh, He's laid out the doctrine of justification by faith. Uh, He's dealing with the issue of of works uh, related to salvation, how the Judaizers had come and they had added to uh, the doctrine of salvation, saying that in order for these Gentiles to be saved, they also needed to be circumcised and keep the law and so on. And Paul has doctrinally laid out the issue uh, that salvation is only by uh, faith uh, through grace, by grace through faith, rather, uh, in, in the work of Jesus Christ. And there's nothing to add to it. The law was inferior. The law was only temporary. And when Christ came, the law was done away with. And then he gets to the practical section. Here's what that means in your life, and here's how it applies. And so that's the section we're in, and Paul's beginning to close this down uh, in, at the end of chapter 5. In chapter 6, and we'll be here for some time yet, uh, but it's starting to get to the very real issues, very real practical issues of right where we live and the things that we deal with. And so let's look at verse 16, um, excuse me, verse 13, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would." But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. I'm going to preach to you tonight. Uh, And we'll be in this section, it'll be the same title for the rest of these messages, but the the title is Be Free. And we're going to, we take that from Paul's statement that in verse 13, where we've been called unto liberty. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Lord, I pray that you'd help us with your word tonight. And Lord, we do need your Holy Spirit. Lord, I need your spirit to uh, be able to control my tongue and my thoughts and to be able to expound on your word. Father, each one needs your spirit to open our understanding to your word so that we might receive truth uh, from it tonight that we can apply in our life. And, and Lord, I pray that we would be intentional about that. And we ask, Lord, for your presence and your spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. At the close of an important speech to Congress in 1941, it was January 6th, 
1941, to be precise, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he shared a vision with Congress of the kind of world that he wanted to see after the war was over. And he envisioned four basic freedoms that he said ought to be enjoyed by all. And he begins to lay it out for Congress. And he said people ought to enjoy freedom of speech. Secondly, people ought to enjoy the freedom to worship the God of their choosing. People ought to be free from want and need. And people ought to be free from fear, have freedom from fear. And he laid out these, this is what his vision for the world was. And to some degree, those freedoms have been achieved in our country at least. But those kinds of freedoms aren't the most important. The real freedom that this world really needs is of a different kind. Man needs to be free from himself, and he needs to be free from the tyranny of his sinful nature. That's real freedom. And the legalists in Paul's day, they thought that the answers to the problems and the way to control things was to make laws and threats and to follow the law of Moses and so on. But Paul already explained that no amount of law and no amount of legislation could ever change man's basic sinful nature. Man comes into the world sinful and no law can ever control that. It's not law on the outside, but it's love on the inside that makes all the difference in a person. And we need another power within, not the power of our will or the power of our flesh, We need another power from within, and that power comes from the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within. And as you read through Galatians, we find that there are at least 14 different references to the Holy Spirit in the book of Galatians. For example, just a couple of them, Paul states that when we believe on Jesus Christ, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes to dwell within. In chapter 3, In verse 2, he says, This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And Paul states to them, You've received the Holy Spirit since you came to know Jesus Christ. And again, that was back when he started to lay out doctrinally where the Holy Spirit comes from. In chapter 4, in verse 29, he states that we're born of the Spirit. In chapter 4, verse 29, But as then... He that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit. Even so, it is now. And that was talking about Isaac and Ishmael. But he says we're born of the Spirit. In chapter 4 and verse 6, he says it's the Spirit that gives, or that in the heart, that gives assurance of our salvation. Look at verse 6 of chapter 4. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. And in chapter 5, where we are tonight, it's the Spirit that enables us to have victory over the flesh. It's the Spirit that enables us to live for Jesus Christ and give glory to Him. The Holy Spirit is the key. The Holy Spirit is not simply a divine influence. He's a divine person, just as the Father is and as the Son is. And what God the Father has planned for us, and what God the Son has purchased for us on the cross, the Holy Spirit of God 
personalizes for us and applies it in our life as we yield to Him. The Holy Spirit is the key. And so what we're going to find in this passage is that the Spirit of God is the central or the, or the, key, uh, the key thought or the key element here for our victory in Jesus Christ, for our liberty in Jesus Christ. And this passage is maybe one of the most crucial in all of the closing of this section because Paul explains three ministries of the Holy Spirit that enables us as believers to truly enjoy our liberty in Christ. And so I want to draw some of these out. We'll get as far as we can tonight uh, for the time that we have, but we'll continue this as we have time. The first ministry of the Spirit that I want you to see here is in verses 13 to 15. And we find that the Spirit enables us to fulfill the law of love. Look at verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. The Spirit enables us to fulfill the law of love. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about yourself. <clears throat> I've noticed it about me. I've noticed it about you. But generally speaking, uh, we can be prone to go to extremes. Now, some personalities are more prone to that than others, but we can be prone to go to extremes. One believer interprets liberty as license to live uh, however they want to live, and that license enables him or gives him the, the right to do what he wants to do and live however he wants to live. Another believer, seeing that error in one, might go to the opposite extreme and start to want to impose laws on everyone. And you're not spiritual unless you live this way, according to these laws. But somewhere between license on the one hand and legalism on the other hand is where true Christian liberty actually is. And so Paul begins here by stating and explaining our calling. In verse 13, he says, For brethren, ye have been called into liberty. We're called to liberty in Jesus Christ. The Christian is a free man. He's free from the guilt of sin because he's experienced God's forgiveness in his life. He's free from the penalty of sin because Jesus Christ died for him on the cross. He's also free from the power of sin in his daily life through the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus Christ bore the curse of the law. He ended its tyranny once and for all. We're called into liberty because we're called into the grace of Christ. Look at chapter 1 and verse 6. Paul says this, and this was a major point of, or the reason why Paul wrote this epistle. He says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that calleth you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. We're called into liberty because we're called into the grace of Christ. Grace and liberty go together. And so Paul states, you've been called into liberty in Jesus Christ. But then he gives a caution. Go back to verse 13 of chapter 5. He explains our calling, but then he gives a caution. 
And he says, you've been called into liberty, only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh. So here he issues this caution and he says, yes, you've been called into liberty, but don't allow your liberty to degenerate into license. And that, of course, is the fear of all who don't understand the true meaning of the grace of God. What they say is, well, if you do away with rules and if you do away with regulations, you're going to create chaos and anarchy. Well, that danger is real, not because God's grace fails, but because men fail of the grace of God. According to Jude in verse 4, there are those who turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Jude 4, verse 4 says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. That word turning, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, that word turning means to exchange. In other words, they exchange the grace of God lasciviousness. These people that Jude talks about, they were never saved people to begin with. And Paul's caution, though, is that the Christian liberty, it's not a license to sin, but rather, he says, it's an opportunity to serve. Notice what he says in verse 13. So he says, you're called to liberty. He issues a caution, don't let it be a license to sin, but rather it's an occasion to serve. Notice at the end of verse 13, he says, but by love serve one another. So don't let your liberty or don't use your liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So here Paul gives a command. By love serve one another. The key word is love. There was a man named Carl. One day he walked into the kitchen and he told his wife, he said that he had an extra day off of work this week. And so he said he was going to use that day to fix his daughter's bike. And then he was going to take his son to the museum that he'd been wanting to go to for so long. Well, his wife says to him, she says, fixing a bike and Visiting a museum hardly sounds like an exciting way to spend a day off. But then Carl replied, well, it sure is if you love your kids. And the thought is, uh, Carl wasn't thinking about himself. Carl thought it was exciting to serve his kids because he loved them. And the amazing thing about love is that it takes the place of all the laws of God. Notice verse 14. Paul says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What are the two great commandments? First of all, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Right? That's the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, love thy neighbor and as thyself. And Jesus said, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. And so Paul is stating here that these legalists, you know, keep the law, keep the law. That's the only way that you can be right with God and, and have peace with God and find favor with God. But Paul says, listen, love. Love in the heart and empowered by the Spirit of God is what actually enables you to fulfill the law of God. 
love thy neighbor as thyself really solves about every problem in human relations. The problems in relationships with people, problems in families, problems in the church, problems in the community, problems with crime. Love thy neighbor as thyself pretty much solves all of those problems in human relations. Look at, hold your place here, but look at Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, and look at verse 8. Romans 13, 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, Thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed." The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Notice what Paul says here. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is what enables you to actually fulfill the law of God. Love doesn't work ill against its neighbor. Therefore, it is the fulfilling of the law. Did you know that if you love people because you love Jesus Christ, that you won't steal from them? Did you know that? Did you know that if you love people because you love Christ, you're not going to lie about them? Did you know that if you love people because you love Jesus Christ, you're not going to envy them? And you're not going to gossip about them? You know why you're not going to do those things? Because you don't want to hurt them in any way because you really only want their good because you genuinely love them. Love is fulfilling all the law of God. Love for others is what causes one to set their own self and their own schedule aside and take the time to serve and to minister to somebody else. It's love. That's not what our natural bent is. Our natural bent is to love ourselves, right? Which is why he says, love thy neighbor as thyself. You're going to take care of yourself. You're going to do what what needs to be done for the body and for self to care for it. You have yourself as in your well-being as the, as the highest point. That's what we naturally do. But loving our neighbor as ourself is what enables us to actually keep the law of God. Love in the heart is God's answer to laws and threats. The Holy Spirit within 
is, is, is what gives us the love that we need in order to love others. Look at chapter 5 again, our text, chapter 5 and verse 6. Verse 6 says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Now skip to verse 22. This is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. The very first one, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's the Spirit of God that gives us the love that we need in order to love others. And Romans 5 and verse 5 says, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Apparently, the Galatian believers were lacking in this kind of love because verse 15 tells us that they were biting and devouring one another. Notice that in verse 15. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. The picture that Paul is creating here is of wild animals that are attacking each other. Um, even domestic animals can attack each other and be fierce. We were out at camp and... Uh, Brother Chris and I were standing there talking after church. I think it was something like that. And, you know, all the dogs running around camp and so on. And all of a sudden we hear this. And we look over and Valka had Loki on his back. And her lip was up and her teeth were out. And she was over the top of him like this, going right for his throat. And I thought she was going to kill him. And Brother Chris is running over there, hey, hey, it didn't do a thing, not a thing. And Loki tried to like get out and she pinned him down again on the ground, going after his throat. And, and I came behind Brother Chris, I'm like, don't get bit, don't get bit. Let the dogs kill each other, don't get bit. And finally, Loki got himself out of that. And then as soon as Valka saw Brother Chris, all of a sudden she's like, oh, okay. I would too if I saw him <laughs> running at me. Wild animals attacking each other, vicious, no mercy, right? That's the picture that Paul is creating when he says, if you bite and devour one another, they were in danger of destroying one another. Strife and disunity that's allowed to fester in a church will surely destroy the church. That's what he's, he's saying when, when he says, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. He's talking about utter destruction and how saints of God, people who are to love each other, can actually tear each other apart and destroy each other. That in itself is proof that law cannot force people to get along with each other. No matter how many rules or how many standards a church may adopt, that is no guarantee of real spirituality. You can have, you can have you know, the T's crossed, the I's dotted, you can have the laws laid down, you follow these rules or you get out, you know, that kind of a, a, a kind of a leadership or that kind of a culture, it doesn't matter how many rules or regulations you laid down, it doesn't guarantee spirituality. 
Unless the Holy Spirit of God is permitted to fill the heart with love, selfishness and competition is going to reign. Both extremes were in the Galatian church, the legalists and the libertines. And they were actually destroying the fellowship. Let me just say this before we move on. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't work in a vacuum, friends. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God. He uses prayer. He uses worship. And He uses the fellowship of the brethren to build us up in Jesus Christ. All of those elements require that we are in contact with and in submission to the Holy Spirit of God. When the flesh is reigning, when the flesh has control, that's when you bite and devour one another. When love is not the thing that is reigning, that's when we destroy each other. And the believer who will spend time in the Word and in prayer, who will yield himself to the Spirit's working, is going to enjoy true liberty in Jesus Christ and is going to be able to edify and build up the church, which is what the command of the Word of God tells us to do. So Paul states that the first ministry of the Holy Spirit enables us to actually fulfill the law of love and to fulfill the law of God. The second ministry of the Spirit we find in verses 16 through 21, and that is that the Spirit enables us to overcome the flesh. Look at verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and we'll go through all of those, not tonight, but we'll make mention of those and talk about those things, the works of the flesh. But Paul says, "...and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God." Here Paul says that the Spirit is what enables us to overcome the flesh. Notice the conflict first in verses 16 and 17. This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Here's the conflict. And just as Paul has already stated that Isaac, who was the promised one, and Ishmael were unable to get along, so the spirit and the flesh are at war one with another. Now understand this, when Paul is talking about the flesh, he's not talking about the physical body. The body is neutral. He's talking about your sin nature. He's talking about the will, the sinful will. 
the old nature of man. That's what's at war with the Holy Spirit. The body is neutral. If the Holy Spirit controls the body, then we walk in the Spirit. But if the flesh controls the body, then we walk in the lusts or the desires of the flesh. The Spirit and the flesh have absolutely different appetites. The one wants to please God. The one wants to agree with God. The one wants to obey God. The other absolutely disagrees with God. The other wants to do what it wants to do and control things. And that is what creates conflict. There's literally a war that rages within a believer. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you know Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Spirit of God within you, then you absolutely know what I'm talking about. The person who does not know what I'm talking about is not a saved person because they do not have the Holy Spirit within. person who can live their life, they can, they can sin, they can do whatever they want to do, they can just live day by day throughout the week, just however they want, and never understand and know the conflict that rages on the inside is not a saved person. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Not possible. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God cannot and will not let us just live however we want to live according to our flesh. His seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. This means he doesn't habitually practice sin. And I want you to notice another word in verse 21 where Paul says, uh, And such like of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That word do, it's not talking about a slip up. It's not talking about uh, an incident. It's talking about a lifestyle. What he's saying is those who live this way shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So don't misinterpret that like if there's ever something that you did that was controlled by your flesh and that, that it was an element that was in your life that all of a sudden you're not a saved person. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying, though, is that the Holy Spirit, that your flesh is capable of anything. Your flesh is absolutely capable of anything if you're a saved person. But it's through the power of the Holy Spirit of God that you have victory over the flesh. There's a conflict. Romans 8 and verse 8 says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So there's this conflict and there's this absolute war that is raging within. But I want you to note with me that the Christian cannot simply will himself to overcome the flesh. These two are opposed to each other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Notice it in verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. The Christian cannot simply will himself to overcome the flesh. 
It's precisely what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 7. Go over there to Romans chapter 7. And notice, we can read this whole section, but primarily I want you to notice verse 15 and then in verse 19. But if we, if we um, start at verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And then he says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You see what he's saying here? He's describing the war that goes on inside. The things that I don't want to do, those are the things I end up doing. And all the things that I want to do to please God, I don't do those things. And I'm I'm stuck in this war. And who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? Now, Paul's not saying there's not victory there. Because later on he says, it's Jesus Christ who's going to deliver me. But what he is saying is, I don't have power in my flesh to will myself to defeat the flesh. He's pointing out that you cannot have or win that victory in your own strength and by your own will. So he says in verse 18 of our text, in verse 18 he says, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. So here's the war, the conflict, so that you can't do the things that you would, but the victory is not found in you. It's the Holy Spirit that enables you to win victory over the flesh. If ye be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. That verse literally means that if you are willingly led, which means yielding, if you yield to Him, if you are willingly led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. That's an interesting phrase. That phrase, under the law, it means this. It means compelled by conscience or willpower to do right. Yeah. If you're led by the Spirit, if you're willingly led by the Spirit, you are not compelled by conscience or willpower to do right. You're never going to be successful in the flesh. Flesh against flesh is never going to win. We need the power of the Spirit, which is why he says in verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You know that the Holy Spirit can render ineffective this old flesh and the power of it? It's an issue of control and what you yield to. It's not an issue of this is a problem, this is something I struggle with, and I need to just double down. I need to just work harder. I just need to try harder to overcome this and get victory. 
I need to discipline myself some more. Hey, discipline is good. It is. But discipline isn't the right power source. It's still in the flesh. And flesh against flesh is never going to win. But the Holy Spirit can render ineffective this old flesh. And it's an issue of control and what we yield to. Yield to the Spirit day by day, moment by moment. That's the only way to win that war. And you know what happens then? The Holy Spirit of God writes God's laws on our hearts so that we desire to obey Him in love. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and into their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Where no remission of sin is, there is no more offering for sin. At the moment of salvation, when the Spirit of God comes in, God transforms your life. The law of God is written in the heart. And that new nature, the new man, he wants to do the will of God. He wants to please God. But we still fight with the old nature that wants to control things, that wants to do what it wants to do and and live according to the lusts or the desires of the flesh. And this conflict and this war rages. The victory is found in the power of the Spirit. And the psalmist said, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Paul said, he said, the thing I want to do, I don't do it. And he says, the inward man wants to, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. You can't do it in the power of the flesh. But the Holy Spirit enables us to overcome the flesh. The third thing I want you to see there about this thought is the crucifixion. So we see the conflict. We see the conquest in verse 18, but then you see the crucifixion in verses 19 through 21 and also verse 24. And we're not going to have the time to break all of these down tonight, but notice what Paul says, the works of the flesh are these. And he lists them all off there. He gets down through verse 21 and he says, people who live that way, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says this in verse 24, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to show the contrast between the works of the flesh and what the flesh produces and what the Holy Spirit of God will produce in the life of a believer. And when we compare and contrast and you see, what does a person's life look like? Is it full of these sins of the flesh? Is it full of, of all of these uh, these other things like envyings and murders and strife and seditions and bar- is it, does it look like that or does it or does it look like love and joy and peace and long suffering and gentleness? 
completely opposites, polar opposites. And that's how Paul is going to conclude this section. And we'll take the time maybe next week to break these down and consider what, it, what the works of the flesh are. And then we'll see in the rest of the time that we have what the Spirit produces in us. So the ministry of the Spirit, what is it? Well, the ministry of the Spirit is threefold here, where Paul says the Spirit enables us to fulfill the law of love. The Holy Spirit then enables us to have victory over the flesh. And then thirdly, what we'll consider is that the Spirit produces the fruit in us. We need the Holy Spirit. Amen. Who are you yielding to is the question. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray that you'd challenge us from these truths tonight. And when we live according to the will of the flesh, our neighbor is not, and their well-being is not at heart. Self is. We lie. We'll gossip. We'll tear down. We'll bite. We'll devour. Those are all indications that the flesh is in control, not the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit of God enables us to love and to sacrifice and to serve one another, to build and to edify and to grow. If our life is signified by the works of the flesh, one of two things, either we're not saved or we're being controlled by our flesh, our old sin nature, and not the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray that you cause us to examine our own heart and life tonight. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to yield to you, yield to the Spirit of God, to lay down self and will. And Lord, recognize that the power source is only through the Spirit of God. And Lord, I just give you my heart, I give you my day, I give you my life, Lord, control my tongue, control my thoughts, control my actions. Lord, I give them to you today. And Lord, help us to walk in the Spirit. And if you live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit according to God's Word. So Lord, I pray that you'd use this tonight to challenge us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.